0: The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Hey, listen, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. If you want to go ahead and get ready and open up your Bibles, we can turn to that passage. And before we get started here, would you mind joining me just one more time as we bow our hearts before the Lord and ask him to disciple us, to direct us, and to use this time for his glory in our lives. Amen? Father, this is not just a a motivational speech time. This is not TED Talks for Christians. We are here to hear your word. The creator of the universe who has... Designed life for us. And so, God, I ask that right now you would awaken our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that you would breathe life into this message, that it would strike at the heart of the needs that are represented in this room and for those who are gathered online or in the overflow. Lord, that you would nurture us with truth. That you would train us and mature us and grow us. That you might be glorified in our families. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, the thing is, is that we all find meaning in the context of a story. Uh, Brene Brown, if we, anybody's familiar with Brene Brown, she's a fairly well-known psychologist and author and researcher, and she loves to use this phrase, the, the story that we tell ourselves. The story we tell ourselves. You see, the story that we tell ourselves dictates the way that we live, and Christians live within the context of the story of the gospel that is the story of creation fall redemption and restoration and this is at the heart of what it means to make disciples of Jesus within the home every person at some point in their life must face the great existential questions how do we get here Why am I here? How did everything get so messed up? What we're seeing on the news. Like, how, how did the world get so broken? How does the world get fixed? What puts it all back together? And, and then finally, when? When will it all be better? Is humanity doomed to live in brokenness? Forever? You see, as Christians, we have answers to those questions. How did we get here? Well, we were created by loving God, the creator of everything. And we as humans were formed uniquely in his image. Why are we here? We exist to bring glory to the creator by bearing his image And sharing with him in the joy of his reign over everything. Well, how did everything get so messed up? The fall. Sin entered the world through the rebellion of God's creatures against their Creator. Well, how does this world get fixed? Well, we step into God's plan of redemption by faith. We watch as he repairs what's been broken and put out of place. Yeah, but when? When will it get better? It'll get better when the will of God is being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the answers that we give. This is the story that we live into. Now, other people have different answers for these questions. Scientists will answer these questions differently. They'll say, we are a giant accident. I mean, first there was nothing, and then nothing blew up. It became everything. And now we're just particles, you know, bouncing into one another. And there really is no meaning to life, except whatever meaning you import into it. And, you know, and on and on it goes. Other religions will say, oh, you know, we're, we're just recycled. Like, you you die, and you come back, you die, and you come back, you die, and you come back, and then one day, maybe you don't die anymore. It's like the secular therapists will have their own version of this. Everybody's going to answer this in some way. In essence, though, a family provides the context for making disciples. You see, through family, God provides perspective on the world that we live in. He tells us the reason that we're here and the way that we are to live as a result of our existence. You see, every family is therefore making disciples. And the question I think that we're meant to wrestle with, and one I hope we will wrestle with this morning personally individually that we will take to heart this morning is we're all making disciples but what kind of disciples are we making we are making disciples presently in our homes in our families the question is what kind of disciples are we making in our homes Today, in our passage, we're going to see Paul give instruction to families. Let's take a look at these four verses, four short verses that we'll be meditating on this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now there's three things I want you to consider from our passage today. Three fine points from these four verses. The first one is the children's means to being discipled. The children's means to being discipled from verse one. You're learning to obey God. Number two, the children's motivation to be disciple in verses two and three. You're learning the path to a good life. The children's motivation to be discipled, verses 2 and 3. And lastly, from verse 4, the parents' mode of discipling. The parents' mode of discipling. Avoid exasperation. Encourage maturation. Now, in the context of this passage, Paul has been explaining to the church in Ephesus the way that the gospel of Jesus Christ impacts life in the here, in the in the now. And in the first few chapters of Ephesians, Paul lays out the beauty of the gospel and the glorious wisdom of God through his redemptive plan, in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. He tells the church that through Jesus we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that we are chosen before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless before Him, and that in love... He predestined us, the church, to be adopted into the family of God. And all of this is to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, Paul goes on to list the benefits that the church enjoys by being adopted into God's family. We, we enjoy redemption, forgiveness of trespasses, and several other incredible gifts that are given to us through the gospel, But a key benefit, though, is the down payment God has given us of the Holy Spirit, which is this this partial experience, this down payment, anticipating the fullness of what will come when we are finally in God's presence, unhindered by sin, forever and ever. And with the Holy Spirit comes power, power to live and power to work as God created us to in this world. And this is, this is super important because this is the backdrop for all of the things that, that Paul will call the Ephesian church and us into as we walk in love, as we deal with relationships and family and work and spiritual warfare. We do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, after this incredible description of what the gospel gives to us, Paul turns to the practical implications of how it is that the gospel calls us to live. He tells us that the the gospel is lived and expressed through the way that we love others, It's, it's lived through the community of faith in chapters four and five. The last part of chapter five tells us it's lived in the covenant of marriage. The gospel is also lived out through family in our verses today. It's lived out through the avenue of our vocation, the verses shortly following this. And it's lived out in spiritual warfare and conflict at the last part of chapter 6. Now notice there's this logical flow to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In our first week together, perhaps you'll remember at the beginning of the series, Love, Marriage, and Family, Pastor Paul walked us through what it means to walk in love from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And in this command, to walk in love, is a general principle for all Christians everywhere. To walk in love. Now, it gets applied, though, specifically, not only to the community of faith, that's the context in which Paul says it, But he applies it also to marriage, which we talked about last week. In week two, we discussed how we're to walk in love through the vehicle of marriage. And today, we're discussing how to walk in love through the vehicle of family. Now, this is important because it places priority on the marriage first before dealing with the offspring or the kids. This is an essential thing for us to understand. You see, the foundation of good parenting starts with a good relationship with mom and dad. It's the foundation of a good family. Healthy families are built on healthy marriages. Things like security, definitions of safety, of love, of grace are all defined by the relationships that we experience first in life. And when a marriage is healthy, notice I didn't say perfect. I didn't say perfect. When a marriage is healthy, children are learning to navigate both their strengths and their weaknesses through the example of mom and dad. In addition, children are also experiencing the gospel as it is being lived out through the grace that is demonstrated between mom and dad, through the unconditional love and commitment to one another, through the health of that loving relationship in the home. It becomes a 3D relational example Of what the gospel is. And and interestingly enough, all of this is happening. This 3D demonstration of the gospel and the nature of God being displayed through mom and dad, through parents. All of this is happening when children can't even form words. When they are infants, they are experiencing the grace and the love of God through family. Words aren't even necessary in that moment. They come later. Now, what's interesting is you, you, you see that, that marriage comes before, but then what comes after our passage is instruction about spiritual warfare. Now, I find that profound because sandwiched in between instruction about marriage and instruction about spiritual warfare is our passage today, and, and this demonstrates to me that these relationships that we live in will be filled with conflict and spiritual warfare. In other words, the way that God has called us to love and live together will be the places that we will experience spiritual pressure from the world, from our own flesh, from the devil himself. And these relationships will, will be a place of profound and deep spiritual warfare. They they will necessitate in us a profound and deep engagement with the weapons of our warfare. Now, we turn to our first verse here, where Paul gives this simple instruction, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And and we said that this is the children's means to being discipled. In verses 1 through 3, Paul tells the church that children are to obey their parents in the Lord because this is right. Now, there's three major implications that I would like for us to consider by this text. The first is that the responsibility of teaching and of leading children falls on parents. Notice that Paul assumes that the role for instruction is mutual between mom and dad. Now, this is important for parents to understand. It doesn't fall to one person or the other. The dad doesn't just go to work and the mom stays home and rears the children. That's that's an old idea that we picked up somewhere along the way that actually isn't helpful. Both parents are to be engaged in the spiritual nourishment and direction of their family. Neither parent is able to abdicate their responsibility before the Lord because that responsibility falls to them both to bring instruction. Moms and dads are to teach. It's one of the the major important roles that they have been given by God. Now, the second implied piece of logic is that children are born with innate desires, but that not all of those desires are good and right. They will need to learn things from their parents. They'll need to learn. This whole idea of free-range parenting, perhaps you've heard of this, free-range parenting, just it's asinine. It makes no sense. Whatsoever, You just sort of, like, let your kid decide for themselves what it is that they are to be and how it is that they should behave in the world. That's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. It's crazy. Children need instructions. If you leave them to their own, the results will be disastrous. Now, that doesn't negate letting your kids explore the range of their effective will, right? It doesn't mean you don't let them be their own person or that you don't let them explore limits and boundaries or even fail sometimes. But you don't just turn them loose and expect that the outcome is going to be good. Their desires from birth are at war with the way that is living that pleases God, They are born into sin. They will need your instruction. doesn't mean that you negate letting kids experience the consequences of choices or learning from mistakes. But it does mean that you give them a container by which to understand who they are and how it is that God has created them for his glory. How they get, got here. Why they exist. It's the job of parents to say to their kids, God created you, male or female, on purpose. This was His design. And God doesn't make mistakes. This is His goal for you. You exist because God desires to be glorified through your, your unique personality and gifting." And the desires in you are confusing because you were born into a world where brokenness exists because of sin. But God has a plan to heal and redeem that brokenness and and you have a part to play in God's plan. He's invited you into the story that He has written and you have a role within that story. You are valued to God. See, parenting provides the lens through which children can see the world around them and their part in it. Parenting is a holy calling from the Lord. Now, the third implied piece of logic from this is that children are expected to obey parents as a part of their obedience to God. Notice he says, obey them in the Lord. Paul does not write this instruction to the parents. He he writes this instruction, interestingly enough, notice what it says here, children obey your parents. He writes the instruction to the children. In other words, Paul is imagining that the letter he is writing to the Ephesians will be read to the children. That the children will receive his words as instructive for how they will follow Jesus in their current stage of life. Their obedience is not just uh, to their parents... But more importantly than that, this letter comes to them through the Apostle Paul in a context of this is how Christians live and puts obligation on children to say, as a part of following Jesus, this is how I've been called to live. Through family, then, children are practicing their obedience to the authority of Jesus in their lives. It is, it is preparatory for them so that they can m- move on into maturity to become disciples of Jesus who who follow and obey Jesus. You know, it's been said that parenting is a role in family that moves parents from manager to coach to mentor. And I, I find this description super helpful. It, it, It describes the ways that parents and their children are are always sort of progressing. There isn't a static stage. We're we're constantly moving through the role of parenting and through the role of being children of parents. And these are are three stages where where parents are teaching and children are learning. So the manager stage, let's think about that for, for a moment. In the early stages of parenting, a parent acts like a manager. There's a great many tasks that are involved to teach children the behaviors for a healthy life. We teach them to eat at regular times. We hopefully teach them to eat healthy. Put your clothes on, that's an important factor in life. You can't go naked out into the streets. Perhaps you've had that discussion. Don't hit. Don't bite others. Tie your shoes. Be careful when crossing the street. Pray. Read. Worship. Sleep. Enjoy silence. Play. Brush your teeth. The instructions are never-ending. It just is ongoing. Lots and lots of management at a micro level in the life of children. Instruction is broken down into these lots of little tasks that are important for a child to grab a hold of in order to embrace the necessary responsibilities of a mature life. And the parent slash manager gives instruction and then repeats that instruction and also then repeats that instruction, and then also then repeats that instruction, and also then repeats that instruction, again and again and again and again, with the hope, with the dream, that one day the child will receive the instruction, take ownership of that for themselves, and begin to walk in those truths, those lessons. Our goal is hoping, in this stage, at the manager stage, that the child will embrace the necessary habits for themselves to a point where management is no longer necessary. Then, after the manager stage, comes the coach stage. If a child is growing in the ways that are healthy, eventually a parent begins to move more into a coaching stage and the instruction changes from a command to do this to a position that says, hey, listen, we have been practicing, and uh, now it's your job to begin taking ownership of this responsibility for yourself. In essence, a parent is encouraging them to get into the game for themselves. Instead of managing every detail you're sort of encouraging and, 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 and shouting encur- both encouragement and instruction from the sidelines. You can do it. You better do it. You really should do it. <laughs> right? But they are the ones that are playing the game. And as a result, you keep refusing to do things for them so that they can gain the skills that are necessary for them to do it themselves. It means allowing them to struggle, and it means allowing them even to fail, as they take increasing responsibility and ownership for their lives practically, emotionally, and spiritually. And eventually, after moving from the management stage to the coach stage, then comes the opportunity to move from the coaching stage over into the mentor stage. Eventually, parenting moves to the mentor stage. This is the stage that is even less instructive, but maintains availability. A parent in this stage says to their child, Hey, listen, you bear the responsibility for your practical, physical, emotional, and spiritual life. It is on you. But I am here as a blessing to you and a resource to you. I'm available. You can call on me anytime for advice. You know, as Pastor Paul pointed out in our sermon review this last week, he said, you know, that that last stage, the mentor stage, never really ends. It, it, It goes all the way until you die. And even in the dying process, you are mentoring your children. You see, it's something that you do when your kids are adults. It's something that you do when you have grandkids. It's something that you do all lifelong. Parenting, then, moving from manager to coach to mentor, is this progressive process of handing over responsibility to your children as they grow. This is often where you see things get kind of wonky in families. If a parent, you see, doesn't mature with their children through the varied stages of development, problems follow. For example, a a parent that tries to stay a manager when they are at the coaching stage will have problems with the child, and the child will have problems with the parent. Or a a child that wants to stay at the, the managing phase when they should be moving to the coaching stage will have troubles, and so will the parent. And the same is true of coaching and the mentor stages as well. You see, for children, the goal of maturity is to become a disciple of Jesus who has learned to obey him through their experience of obeying and yielding to instruction in the home. And for parents, then, the goal of parenting is to raise disciples of Jesus who know how to live in the world to the glory of God. There's this Godward motivation for children and for parents for all that takes place in the home. And to that end, Paul gives this simple instruction. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It is right for you to obey parents in the Lord. Because it is training you to obey and to honor Jesus. Now, notice also the motivation that Paul offers to children for this type of obedience, found in verses 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother, as is the first commandment, with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, in order for kids to understand why they should obey their parents in the Lord, Paul reaches back to the Decalogue, to the Ten Commandments. And he quotes the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, and then the, the promise that follows. He quotes it, interestingly enough, from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, from the Septuagint. So sometimes you might see different phrasing between the quote of Paul and the. if you go back to the passage to read it, and that's because the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew text, and Paul is quoting the Septuagint in this case, which makes sense because his audience is Greek, they're from Ephesus. Now, Paul highlights the fact, first of all, that this is not a new commandment, this whole idea of honoring parents, but is it has been the consistent desire of God for his people from the earliest of times. This is consistent with God's desire since the beginning, right? This has always been his desire, that family would become the training ground for following God. In addition, he notes that this, first com- this is the first commandment that comes with its own built-in blessing or promise. The promise is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, in the Ten Commandments, the promise is applied to God's covenant people who are entering the promised land. Here, though, Paul applies it globally to wherever you live because from Paul's understanding of the gospel and the redeeming work of Jesus, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Jesus came to redeem the world. So he's like, wherever you are, this promise is for you. Now, there are exceptions where a child's life is taken in tragedy. But as a general rule, those that live rebelliously invite the kinds of trouble that put them in danger. Think of all the dangers and the pitfalls that are avoided through obedience. When parents offer instruction for the good of the child and for the glory of God, all the days of their lives, children are benefiting from the lessons that they learn from their parents. And this is, this is consistent logic that you see throughout the Scriptures. I think of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 10, where it says this, Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. Proverbs 10, 27, fear, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. The instruction of parents is for the good of children. And this should be motivating to children. And it's also instructive to parents. Our instruction to our kids should be for the good of their lives. God wants kids to know that obedience, listen, that obedience is the path to the good life. Obedience is the path to the good life. And that is blessing is upon those that walk in it. That's the reality. Now, I can hear some of your voices in the back of my mind. Yeah, but what what about if you had ungodly parents or abusive parenting? What about the household I grew up in with Dysfunction and abuse or, or, or neglect. What about that? How do, I, how do I honor parents in the middle of that? Well, first of all, I would say that you, you have to hear the words of the psalmist in Psalm 27, verses 10 through 11. For those of you who've come from that situation, write this down. Psalm 27, 10 through 11. For my father and mother have forsaken me But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. You see, one of the most amazing benefits of being adopted into the family of God is that he offers to reparent us. He invites us into his family. If you come from a good example in parenting or a terrible one, God offers to step in. Notice what the psalmist says in the face of feeling abandoned by his parents. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. You see, one of the great journeys of growth from a family of brokenness is to learn to assess our parents by who God is rather than assessing God by the experience of our parents. In fact, you know, sometimes redemption works in reverse in families. Sometimes it is the children that encounter Christ through the gospel— And they bring the gospel home, and it is the parents who get saved. It is the parents who are influenced. It is the parents who are healed through the presence of the children who grab a hold of the gospel. So for those of you with unbelieving parents, live for the glory of God and bring the gospel home with you. Now, having said that, there's, there's still some other questions that I think are in the back of my mind. Like, like how do we keep the command to honor our father and mother if, if, in fact, they are dishonorable? What if it's not healthy? What if it's broken? What if it's terrible? There's two ways, primarily, that I think we can obey this command. First of all, we honor them with care. We honor them with care. We recognize that we have a God-given responsibility to care for the needs of of our parents as they age. They preserved our lives when we couldn't do it for ourselves, and so we are to return the favor. Now, Pastor Mitch reminded me this last week as we were discussing that this passage, from, he reminded me of, of a passage from Mark's Gospel where the Pharisees tried to get out of caring for the needs of their aging parents by declaring their resources as Corbin or, or dedicated to the Lord. Perhaps you'll remember that teaching. They were trying to escape keeping this command by saying, well, I dedicated all my resources to God, but, so I can't give anything to you. I can still use it for myself, but I can't give it to you to help you. Right? And Jesus rebukes them in that for using man-made traditions to escape this commandment. So this commandment is for all of us. We are obligated before God to care for our aging parents as they get older. So we, we honor them through care. Second of all, we honor them by living for the glory of God. You see, by doing so, we demonstrate that despite whatever flaws they might have as parents, we can be emotionally and spiritually healthy humans who bear God's image. Now, Sometimes because of abuse or dysfunction, the only way that they get to enjoy this is at a distance. That's a reality. But we don't have to be held captive to the sins of the generations before us. We can learn from their example, even if their example is not a good one. It's an example of what not to do. So we honor them with care, and we honor them by living for the glory of God. You, mom and dad, even with all of your dysfunction, produced a human who is redemptively living for the glory of God despite all that we grew up with. It's a wonderful way to honor your parents. Now in verse 4, Paul turns his instruction from the role of children to speak directly to fathers, verse 4, we talked about the parents' mode of discipling. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As Paul closes this short instruction on parenting, he offers advice to fathers in particular. So if you are a father in this room, the Apostle Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, Pen these words for you. So be attentive. Listen. This is significant that he picks out fathers because it reminds us that husbands and fathers have a particular role in taking responsibility for discipline and instruction in their families. It also hints at the fact that it is normative for a mother to be nurturing and a father to be focused on instruction, but that that instruction is not intended to be shame-inducing and oppressive. So Paul gives this warning. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see, fathers, we have to avoid exasperation. Avoid exasperating our children. I, I can remember when my son was little, Elijah, he was like a, just a, a typical boy, rambunctious and crazy and climbing up the walls and full of adventure and so fun to wrestle with and be around. But then sometimes you, you'd wind him up or, or he would get wound up, apart from your own doing, and, uh, and, and he would just kind of keep doing the wrong thing. Right? And so there was one moment when my son was young where uh, he kept repeating this same offense. And I had told him, hey, knock that off. Don't do that. And then I was like, hey, knock that off. Don't do it. Hey, knock it off. And then I barked at him. And I mean, I barked at him. I barked at him the way I remember my dad barking at me and feeling Myself, wet just a little. Right? I just jumped down on him. My wife lovingly said, Jeremy, you shouldn't do that. And I'm like, come on, babe. I mean, my dad yelled at me. Right? Like, I turned out, despite your opinion, a fairly well-adjusted human being. Right. I got my flaws, but, right? She's like, you, you really need to go to the Lord on this. You need to pray about this. I think you're wrong. She's told me that flat out. Said, Whatever, right? I had no intention of seeking the Lord about that, just so you know. <laughs> but later that night, I'm, I'm having a time of, of reading and devotion before the Lord, and I'm, I'm reading in the, the book of James. I, I began to read James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 where James writes this. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now listen. In that moment, the Holy Spirit brought up this question in my heart. Jeremy, do you want Elijah to obey you? Because he loves obedience and doing what's right? Or do you want him to obey you because he's afraid of Dad? Real simple question, but very much to the point. I realized in that moment, I was training my son. I was discipling my son. I was discipling him to do something, but not the thing that I actually wanted. I was discipling him to fear Dad. Discipling him to fear the authority of God in the long run. I was not discipling him to love obedience for himself. And so, fathers, avoid exasperation. The point is this, fathers. Our discipline and our instruction is to raise kids who are disciples of Jesus, disciples that obey Jesus because they love and treasure Him, not because they're afraid of Him. And ultimately, they do this best when you model it for them through the gracious instruction that isn't exasperating, that isn't shaming, that isn't condemning. You father them the way that God has fathered you. The second thing to take note of in the parents' mode of discipling is to encourage maturation. You know, as the Israelites were finally leaving the wilderness and ready to enter the promised land, God gave them instructions about parenting in Deuteronomy 6. Now, this instruction... It's surprising because it, it doesn't say anything about having weekly family devotions. Rather, it says devotion is something that you do in all of life. All of life is devotion. Instead, God encourages parents both to model obedience to God and to talk about following God all the time in everyday circumstances, always. Always. And it almost is absurd. Let me, let me just turn there. If you have your, your Bible open, you can turn to Deuteronomy 6 as well. Beginning in verse 5, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words, everything that I've been teaching you, Israel, that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You, parents, grab a hold of this and put the word in your heart. Have it there, always. And, verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them. When? Well, when you're sitting in your house. Oh, and when you walk by the way. Oh, and also when you lie down. But not, not only that, also when you get up, when you rise. M- matter of fact, what, tell you what, why don't you tie them as a sign on your hand? Better yet, tie these words to your forehead as frontlets between your eyes. Tell you what, write them on the doorpost of your house so that every time you come into the house, you are rehearsing the commands of God. Better yet, not just the house, but also write it on your gates so every time you come into your property, you are thinking about and rehearsing the commands of God. Do you see how absurd this almost seems? He's like, rehearse the commands. Um, Talk about when you get up, when you lay down, when you're sitting, when you're standing, when you're walking. Uh, Talk about it as you come into your house. Talk about it as you leave your house. Talk about it when you come onto your property. Talk about it when you leave your property. Talk about it all the time. That is family discipleship. It's you setting the story. It's you setting the context. And then he tells... The Israelites why beginning in verse 20 of chapter 6 when your son asks you in time to come what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the lord our god has commanded you ready now listen to this at some point the parents go or this the the, the, the children go to the parents and they go what, what is up with all the rules i'm tired of all the rules why do we follow all the rules And Moses says this, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed us signs and wonders, great and glorious against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers. Ready? Ready? Why do we obey, the children will say. Because God is a great redeemer. And he redeemed us from our slavery. Tell them the story of redemption. You see, all of this instruction when you walk by the way and when you are are sitting and when you're standing, all of that is aimed at preparing your kids for the ultimate question. Why do we follow God like this? Because he is a great redeemer who saved us from our slavery. Parents, take advantage of everyday moments to nurture your kids in Godward living. Family discipleship is the story that forms the reality that kids live in. And children are called to grow to a place of maturity where they are living into that reality. So then, what's the goal of parenting? What is the goal of parenting? What is the goal of parenting? Do you you know? It's the same goal that we have in the Great Commission. To make disciples of Jesus. Maybe you're here today, you're wondering, okay, but how do I do this practically? I mean, what does this actually really look like? You know, as a church, we put a lot of time and money and effort and to finding tools to equip you as parents to make disciples in your own home. Pastor Brent, for the last seven years, has spearheaded this in a very real way and has provided incredible resources. It's been his job to champion this during his time at Heritage. And so uh, he spearheaded the Heritage Milestones Project that helped map out six key moments in the life of a family, to acknowledge in God's presence with one another, to create celebratory milestones that you pass. And you can learn more about the milestones program on our website or at the info desk. In addition to that, Brent spent several years developing the Heritage at Home Resource Center that has now been launched this morning, where families can get resources for parenting. And all these resources are are available to help you take advantage of, of God moments within a family, these everyday interactions where you have this resource and you go, oh, that fits with this. This is the lesson we're learning through this life circumstance right now. And milestones, those key moments where a family is growing or transitioning. We want to help you with that. Maybe perhaps you're here this morning in a place as a parent where you're feeling defeated, or like maybe you failed. And to that, I want to offer four final encouragements to you. The first one: grow. Four encouragements for you as a parent. The first one: grow, grow as a parent. Listen, it is never too late to change. I don't care if your kids are adults. It is never too late to change. Study what it means to be a parent. Get better at it. Share your own growth story with your kids. It's okay to tell them, hey, this is something I'm currently learning as your mom or dad. I didn't know this stuff before. I'm I'm figuring it out as I go. I'm building the plane while we fly it. Welcome aboard. Right? You know another fantastic resource for you to continue to nurture growth is the Right Now Media Library. If you haven't gotten signed up for that, we purchased that subscription for our church, and there is an, an amazing library of resources. And there's a whole kids section. If you've got little kids, the kids there's worship on there for kids. There's all kinds of Bible instruction videos. Fantastic resource for families. But get better at parenting. Grow. Second encouragement: repent. Share your weakness. Model gospel living and being receptive to conviction from the Holy Spirit. And when you fail, show your kids that the grace of God is something that we depend on all throughout life and that you can run to Jesus for forgiveness anytime you blow it. Third thing embrace suffering. There will be many inconveniences in parenting. How many of you have discovered that? Lots of inconveniences in parenting. Embrace all that God is offering you through those moments. Fourth thing, walk in grace. You see, living in constant condemnation of yourself or your kids is like micro-dosing poison in your home. A key part of demonstrating the gospel to your kids is applying the gospel to your life and to theirs. Be honest about weakness and sin and failing in your home, but cling joyfully to the grace of God in response to your own failing and to their failing. See, no matter what stage you find yourself in, a manager with tons of details, a coach who is offering encouragement and instruction from the sidelines, hey, you can do it, a mentor who is cheering your kids on and always available for counsel, no matter what parenting situation you find yourself in. You're a single parent. You're co-parenting with a previous spouse. Your your children have been adopted, or you're the parent, or 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 uh, you're the parent of a prodigal. Listen, God longs to empower you by the Holy Spirit to make disciples of all nations. Starting with the relationships closest to you. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your encouragement to us in family today. As we close out this series, Lord, I am keenly aware of how easy it is after hearing a a message about marriage or parenting or family uh, to be hyper-focused on all of our failings. But Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, instead of causing us to be hyper-focused on our failings, that you would help us to be hyper-focused on all that you've called us to be. That we would joyfully step into areas of growth. That we would acknowledge our weaknesses, our sin, and our failings. And that we would joyfully embrace the path of repentance that leads us back to you and to the gospel. Keep shaping us. Let our homes be a praise to your name. And we ask this.